0: Good morning, Mendocino County and beyond. Today we are going to be talking about, uh, two topics. We are going to speak with, uh, Marciela Rodriguez, who is a local recipient of a national merit scholarship. And later in the hour, we are going to be joined by Megan Parker, who is going to talk to us about hospice in Ukiah and the hospice thrift store. All right. Please stay tuned for Wild Oak Living coming right up. Good morning, Mendocino County again. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I bring you this program, Wild Oak Living, that you're listening to right now every other Thursday from 9 until 10 a.m. It's all about living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and around the world. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are going to have two topics. We're going to be talking about the National Merit Scholarship, and a local recipient, Marcella Rodriguez, is going to be here joining us to talk about, uh, she is one of the recipients of the National Merit Scholarship, and she's going to be talking to us about that and about the program. And then later in the hour, we'll be joined by Megan Parker, who is with the Hospice of Ukiah, and we're going to be talking about hospice and hospice work, and also about the hospice thrift store. Thank you again for joining me here on Wild Oak Living. I would like, before we start the interview with Marcella, I would just like to make one small announcement and a kind of a forward announcement for Wild Oak Living. Uh, on the uh, next Wild Oak Living, two weeks from today, I'm uh, one of my guests is going to be uh, Sarah Grosky, and and she's going to be talking about the Green Uprising Farm and Garden Tour in Willits on Saturday, July 16th, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And I just want to l- tell you about this farm tour, so you can put it on your calendar, and so you can put the interview with Sarah on your calendar for 2 weeks from today uh this is a farm tour that will take you through the many facets of the uh, of their uh, uh Sarah and Michael's family farm including the vegetable gardens medicinal herb gardens the goat herd high caloric storage crops like dry corn, beans and squashes and fruit trees, berries and grapes. The entire tour will be steeped in first-hand experiences. I will tell you much more about that um, and in about this tour uh, and actually Sarah hopefully will tell you much more about this tour two weeks from today on Wilder Living. So tune in for that and if you are interested, put Saturday, July 16th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. on your calendar for this Green Uprising Farm and garden tour all right now I would like to turn if I can make this happening on my screen I would like to turn there we go oops I'm sorry I'm trying to navigate several things here here we go now I have Marcella on the screen I would like to welcome Marcella Rodriguez here to Wilder Living. welcome welcome Marcella thank you for joining us this morning Thank you for having me. Hi everybody. I'm so glad you are here. Um, you are underway right now and you're joining us from while well, you' are underway but uh, uh, you you are a, a a local person who made who did well who are who is doing well right uh, you you are uh, tell us a little bit about um, your local background and uh, and then we'll talk a bit about the National Mary Scholarship.
1: Yeah, um, so I'm originally. I was born in Lake County, but I grew up in Mendocino. Um, I went to Ukiah High. Um, Yeah, I graduated Ukiah High in 2019, and I'm currently um, going into my fourth year at UC Berkeley.
0: And how did that all come about? When was there a point in time when you went to school when either you yourself decided that that you know you uh, school was something that was really important to you and you and, and did you at some point just decide, you know, I want to go for these scholarships or was there a teacher who mentored you? How did this how did this come into your life?
1: Um well, growing up I wasn't the greatest student. I did struggle with academics, I wasn't the best student in elementary, middle school. Even in high school, I had some mild issues, but I think it was my sophomore and junior year of high school when I started to slowly turn it around, and I realized college was for me, and I started applying to certain ones, and yeah, I honestly didn't think I was going to get into the school. Berkeley was my reach school, and I didn't think I was going to get into it because my graduating class, I believe there was only two of us that got accepted to Berkeley, our valley victorian and me and i wasn't like in the top 10 i think i was like i wasn't the lower but i was still not in the top 10 and it was really cool to be able to get into berkeley and yeah it's cool that they chose me and our valley victorian as well but yeah it was really cool that must
0: feel really nice yeah just, just for just for background, uh, I'm the first person in my family to go to college, so uh, I I can re- relate a little bit uh, to your path. Uh, what, what was what was uh, your environment like? I mean, was what, were you encouraged to go to college by your family, or I mean, it, by the way, if any of these questions are too personal, just feel free to skip them. I'm I'm just really, you know, curious because there are so many other uh, parents and grandparents and young people who might be listening, you know, who who could who could uh, um, take away some. Information. Information about how how to encourage the children and their family, you know, to yeah. go to go to go the academic path.
1: So I am currently the first in my family to go to college. Um, I was in the foster system a big portion of my um, life. I was adopted, but the adoption fell through, so I ended up back in the foster system. Hmm. So college really wasn't a priority to me, or wasn't something on my mind. I had a lot of other things going on at home, so college really wasn't until. I think it was at a few teachers my junior and senior year that really pushed me to start applying. Um, Ms. Ramirez and Ms. Upton, I think Ms. Ramirez still teaches at Ikaya High. She was an amazing teacher. She teaches calculus, but she also teaches MESA, which is a program that helps underrepresented students get into or like can start considering college. It was an amazing program at Ukiah, and I hope they have it at other schools in Minnesota as well so
0: so you got encouragement at, at school from te- from from some of your teachers um, but it, it it sounds like it uh, it, it might have been difficult for you to to find the kind of environment to develop your once you decided you know to go ahead and, and then that that was your path um, yeah it was might have been difficult for you to find the kind of environment to to, to develop that in.
1: Yeah, I think when I first started, when I transferred from, because I was temporarily outside of Mendocino for from 11 to like 14, I was in um, San Joaquin County for a little bit in a foster placement, but then I got removed and put into a different foster placement back in Mendocino County, um, and I think when I got there, I made it, I really, I made it my goal just to graduate high school, that was my goal at the time, was just to be the first in my family to graduate high school, I just wanted to prove that I could do it, and I had no idea that. By setting that goal of just graduating high school, I was be able to get into a really amazing universities and be able to apply to all of these scholarships. And hopefully so far, I haven't had to take out that many loans. Um, it's been amazing to be able to apply to all these scholarships that are helping me pay for school. I had no idea how that worked. It was a crazy system to navigate by with. I had some help, but it was still really hard to navigate pretty much on my own in some aspects. I had some teachers and some people along the way that helped me a lot, though.
0: So you had you applied for a variety of scholarships, and then how did the National Merit Merit Scholarship come about, and what did it feel
1: like to get that? Um, is the National Merit Scholarship is through uh, Scholarship America Hub, so they have multiple scholarships. It's a kind of a scholarship generator in a way. So they have different other scholarships on their website. So if you put in your information on the website itself, they help they thing you every so often when they have a scholarship that might align with you, and you can look into it. So it's a Basically, it's this company that helps create other scholarships, it helps work with non- other programs to help them um, like organize their scholarships. So it's basically a scholarship generator, and I was just applying to, I filled up the form and just applying to any of them that kind of remotely, I kind of qualified for them, and I was just applying and applying, and it was really, it was amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that must have been a happy day huh, when that came through.
1: Yeah, it was the scholarship. It was an amazing program. They recently flew me to DC and I got to meet some of the other scholarship recipients and they put us in a really nice hotel. It was an amazing experience. They gave us a little tour of DC and we got to meet other people that helped run the company as well as the networking. It was a really cool experience as well as the scholarship.
0: Yes right. It, it, by the way I would highly recommend a, any listener who'd like to tr- find out more about the National Merit Scholarship or just to read some of the inspiring stories of of some of the young people that are recip- uh, the recipients of scholarships that are that are featured there uh, and some of their stories and some of the paths for how they got there. It's just fascinating. Um I would uh, you can go to their website it's called National Merit Dot org, National and you can see uh, you can see the many young people who uh, have been the lucky recipients of this
1: of this program. Uh, what does that? Uh, what is your field of study, Marcella? Um, currently, I am studying applied mathematics, um, but I recently decided, um, pretty late, in my junior year of college, that I want to switch to data science, uh-huh. um, which is a newer major, but it incorporates both computer science, statistics, and math. Um, so yeah,
0: and that's a very I a
1: challenging path. That's a, that,
0: yeah. I, I salute you for choosing that path. What, what interested you about math and about data?
1: Um, so in school and I, high school and um, high schools, I wasn't the greatest in any of the other subjects. I struggled with reading and writing. I do have a learning disability, so I do have dyslexia, so it made it a little bit harder to read and write and like pick up certain concepts. But math has always been something that I really liked or was really passionate about. Um, So when I applied to colleges, I applied as a math major, Um, but I didn't know that college had so many different other major opportunities or there were so many majors that aren't even offered in schools. There's just, there's a lot of it. So I think my freshman year, I took um, a data science, computer science course, and I fell in love with it. And now I took all the math courses and I just recently decided, because I was taking those as electives at first, but I was like, "I, I really like how this incorporates math and it incorporates, I get to learn about computers. And I'm like, I think this is something I'd rather... I like math, but I think I like how the applications of math are more prevalent in data science.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, and and what, how do you, what do
1: you envision to be your path once you graduate from Berkeley? Um, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm okay. That. Um, yeah, so anyone who's in high school and they're trying to figure out their like what they want to major in, you could change your major. I didn't know that going into it. I didn't know you could change your mind, you could change your major... Um, it's a little bit of a process, but you can change your mind, change your major all as many times as you want. Um, and I'm still, I'm, I'm almost, I'm going into my fourth year and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do. So for those high school students that are trying to figure out their whole life destination at like 18 or 17, you still have time to figure it out.
0: I have to share with you that I am several decades ahead of you and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, so in it you know you you don't get to just one life you get you get you get several several chances to invent yourself throughout life so I'm um, I, I think it's really great that that you are continuously looking at what you want and what you enjoy and what you like and and adapting your life path to what you find I think that's wonderful Thank you. um can um one of the things I'm curious about and, and uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this interview with you, by the way, let me just uh, tell our listeners w- what they're listening to. You are listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. My guest today is Marcella Rodriguez and she is a, a local uh, min- uh, U- Ukiah High graduate. Is that right? Yes, I graduated in 2019. 2019 Ukiah High graduate, recipient of a National Merit Scholarship and currently in her fourth year at UC Berkeley. Uh, And uh, she's uh, studying uh, applied math and data science. That's... uh, I am just really amazed. Uh, I, I studied computer science, uh, and uh, and statistics was <laughs> was was one of my weaker subjects. So I'm really amazed uh, that that your mind works that way. By the way, uh, you mentioned Marcella in just a moment ago that uh, that you have learning uh, um, disability uh, dyslexia. I just rest yesterday read an article that said that that advocated strongly for looking at, at dyslexia and and other similar. Learning Learning disabilities as actually a uh, evolutionary adaptation to uh look at uh, uh to look at the world in a different way and in a different way that's actually going to be very very helpful for the for humanity going forward um because you are able to see connections and see patterns that those of us who uh, whose brains don't work like that can't see or are not uh, can't see as easily so uh i think i think um and I think this is uh, this is uh probably, you know, a strength that that you get to carry uh on your life path and uh I th- I thought that was, I've always I've always believed that but it was really wonderful to see some science behind it now that's proving that that's actually the case.
1: That's
0: really cool. That's yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um I wanted to ask you um what would you say? Let's say you, you're talking to a middle schooler, or maybe you know uh, somebody who's just started, who's just starting high school next year. Uh, given given what you've learned on your own path, what would you say to young people, you know, to to encourage them? And, and just to give them some, some guidance, uh, for, for moving forward and, and, you know, let's, let's say, let's say they come from a family history where, you know, academics wasn't something that was valued very highly or just because, you know, uh, it's, it's just not something that, that fits into the, into, into their lives. Um. But they, you know, but but they might have a little bit of an interest and are looking for ways to to strengthen that interest and and to make it more of a part of their life. Um, What would you say to young people like that, based on what you've learned?
1: Yeah, I would say, especially if your education isn't really promoted. So education wasn't promoted for me growing up, as well. And being able, I think, I just made make a goal for yourself and try to pass that goal. So my original goal was just to graduate high school. And when I was applying to colleges, I didn't realize how much a personal statement actually is weighed in that things. And say you have some family stuff or stuff going on, on at home and you don't have the best grades or you don't have as much time as other students to participate in all these extracurriculars, whatever you're doing at home to help with your family or help provide for the people around you or whatever it may be, that still counts as like certain extracurriculars. You could put those on your applications when you're applying to colleges. With anything that you're doing to spend your time, they see that and it's, it's still valued. Um, yeah, I would say work on their personal statements and even, even though they didn't have the best grades or they aren't really, yeah, just keep pushing yourself in a way and apply to schools, even the ones you didn't think you were going to get into, have reach schools, have higher, just apply to anything that you, yeah. Cause I didn't think I was going to get into Berkeley. Berkeley was not one of like, it was my reach, reach school because if as well, cause I found out my senior year that if you are low income or certain, fall into a certain group, they provide, um, the state schools will provide four free applications for UCs and four free applications for CSUs. And I just applied to Berkeley as my one of my fourth choices, and I ended up getting into it. And I I would say just keep pushing yourself and work on those personal statements as well. You have a story, everyone has a unique story, and sometimes your story will set you apart.
0: And sometimes we don't see the stories in our lives, right? It takes sometimes maybe mentors or others to help us see our stories. Yeah, yeah yeah um the one of the things i i was really uh struck by what you said earlier uh well actually two things one is that you, you just simply you know put out as many scholarship applications as you possibly could uh for in for a variety of things and just filled out all these forms and then and you know hoping that something would come through right that's um um, basically you, you, you just put out a very broad reach, as you said before.
1: Yeah. Especially if you're applying to schools, I've, I've won a few scholarships. I won a decent amount of scholarship, but I was rejected from like four times as many as I've won. But just keep applying. Those those few scholarships that I did win are helping me put through school. So even though you might apply to certain scholarships, you might get rejected and that might discourage you from applying them in the future. Just keep applying, keep applying, keep applying. Because all those rejections, once you win your first scholarship, it's an amazing feeling. And those, all those rejections, the feelings you got from the previous rejections of other scholarships go away. Just that one scholarship. yeah, And then keep, keep applying
0: and also one one thing you said that i think is really important is set yourself short term goals like you said you know your first goal was to graduate high school yes. uh, and 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 once you were once you were close to that goal you realized okay there were other goals like going to berkeley or other schools and 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 it's just sort of evolved from there but but your first focus was was a very concrete focus graduate high school that was it yeah, yeah. Um it, it's it, I think I think also you the one one important thing you said is um uh, even if you're not sure exactly what you want to do with the rest of your life when you apply to a college, you know, pick pick something that you think might interest you and then when you get to college, like you said, you can always still change your
1: major, right? Explore take classes that are look interesting to you but maybe not be might um, aren't related to your major, aren't a requirement. Just take it if it looks interesting to you. Take it, explore it, and see where it goes. And so I did my freshman year, and now I'm thinking I'm changing my major because of that one course that I took my freshman year, and I loved it.
0: That's so great. That's so great. Well, we have a couple minutes left in our interview, and I'd like to just uh, invite you to share with us anything that I haven't asked you about that
1: you would like to share with our listeners. Mm-hmm. I would say for just keep keep pushing through. There might be some like boundaries or like barriers in your way, but the more barriers that are thrown at you or the more rocks that are thrown at you, the stronger you become. And that's going to stand out for college admissions and it's going to make you even when you're in college, like if you're put under pressure, you know, because of past experiences that you can keep going because it's not as bad as the past or like, you know, you've faced challenges in the past before. So you know, you can face this challenge.
0: What are some of the resources that helped you as far as as far as getting uh, applying for scholarships and applying to colleges? Was it was it mostly resources at school, or did you have other resources that helped you?
1: When I was at Ukiah High, they had a bulletin board in the office, and I just took a picture of that big bulletin board and was going through each of the scholarships they had on that board, and was trying to figure out which ones I which ones I qualify for, which ones I kind of because you even if you don't fully qualify for it, but like say they have five qualifications and you hit four of those five, I would still recommend applying because sometimes they just don't get enough applicants and sometimes they'll make certain exceptions. So just apply to any of them that you qualify for. And then I didn't know that after you graduate high school or after you go to college, you can still apply while you're in college. Uh So there's scholarships while you're in college. Um, I believe the one that I recently won, I one of the qualifications, you have to be complete one year in college already. So there's scholarships not just for after graduating high school or your senior or junior year of high school. There's scholarships for um, continuing high, or continuing college. And you can continue each year to apply more and more scholarships.
0: Great. Well, Marcella Rodriguez, I admire you. I think I think you I think you're a wonderful example and inspiration to the many other young people who might hope to to go on your path. And I'm so happy you joined us this morning, uh, Marcella Rodriguez, a 2019 graduate of Ukiah High and recipient of the National Merit Scholarship. If you want to learn more about the National Merit Scholarship, you can go to. Uh, My little computer just shut off. It's nationalmerit.org. Many inspiring stories there. Thank Thank you again. So,
1: to the um, Scholarship um, Scholarship America Hub, they have other scholarships as well, but I was just one of the, I just won one of the merit one through that. But the Scholarship America Hub has amazing scholarships on it as well. Or that's what the pro- what the scholarship I won through that program was. Great.
0: Well, thank you so much for all the information you shared with us, Marcella, and we wish you all the best and much happiness and success in your life.
1: Thank you. It was amazing being on here. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you. You are listening to Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak. I bring you this program every other Saturday, no, not Saturday, every other Thursday from 9 to 10 a.m., and it's all about uh, living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. And speaking of building community, one of the very very important organizations here in our uh, inland area in that helps us build community amongst amongst people who need help and people who want to give help is the is uh Hospice of Ukiah. And and I am happy to be joined now by Meg uh by Megan Parker who is with the uh Hospice of Ukiah and we're going to be talking about hospice work, uh, the hospice thrift store, and uh, and just learn more in general about hospice of Ukiah. Thank you so much for joining us, Megan. Welcome to Wilder Living. I'm so happy to be here thank you for having me it's great um, yeah I long time listeners might remember that um, I did uh, several ear uh, interviews uh, about um, grief and and uh, the the grief workshops that hospice of Ukiah used to offer so 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 uh, listeners who've heard those interviews might have a bit of a background in that but um i So I've been interested in, in hospice and hospice work all along because I think it provides such a wonderful service to our community and I'm really happy that we get to talk about it again after a long hiatus of covering this topic. So tell us, first of all, what is Hospice of Ukiah and what does your organization do?
2: Yeah, so we are one of the oldest hospice agencies in California. I'm probably going to go maybe a little bit too far back to give... A little bit of um, just backup knowledge, but hospice agencies started in the 60s and 70s as volunteer organizations to help people uh, live out their final days at home. That used to be the case um, for millennia. And in the first half of the century, of the past century, excuse me, um, people started being more. in the hospital during their final days. And so during the 60s and 70s, there was an awareness that maybe people might like to pass at home and volunteer organizations starting in England and then quickly over here in the U.S. started helping make that happen. So Dr. Wira, who is still one of our medical advisors, um, helped start Hospice of U.Kaya back then. In the 80s to 90s, Medicare realized that this was a really great service and started funding certain hospitals. started funding hospice services. And at that point, Hospice of Ukaya decided to forego Medicare funding just because it came with a lot of strictures. Um, people would have to forego, forego any more medical care that they might want, like another round of chemotherapy or dialysis. Um, and we were just lucky to be part of this amazing community that was supporting our services and but via donations and our thrift store. In the 90s as well, we started slowly adding a palli- palliative care program. And so that uh, goes forward to this day. We, per- we are part of an interdisciplinary team. I'm the social worker on the team. And then we have a chaplain who does grief services, including grief support groups and nurses and personal care assistants. And um, we provide in-home services to people from Boonville to Willits to Potter Valley, Redwood Valley, Ukiah, Hopland. Anyone for the palliative care services are for anyone living with a chronic health condition or serious illness. And the hospice services are for people who... Are likely to be dying soon, um, and then as we work together collaboratively to make sure that these people are supported, but also their support systems are supported, so their caregivers and their family members. I think that's everything. <laughs> how does
0: how does one get into the hospice program? Let's say I, you know, I am in in, in need of that kind of care, or I have a family mm-hmm. member or friend who needs that kind of care. How does one qualify and get into the program?
2: So what we would like you to do is talk to your primary care provider, your main physician, and that physician will make the referral to us. One unique aspect of our agency, because we are still totally community supported by our amazing community members, is that you get to keep your doctor. Usually when you switch over to a Medicare funded hospice service, or even uh, an insurance-funded palliative care service, sometimes you have to forego your primary care physician and, and just see the doctor that is part of that hospice program. And so this way you keep your primary care provider, which a lot of people really like because they've developed a relationship and a rapport over the years. So you keep your primary care provider and then we work collaboratively with that doctor. Um, so you ask the doctor to make a referral. We often do sometimes get referrals from the hospitals as well. Uh, Somebody has a major health crisis, they go in the hospital. The case management team at the hospital as part of their discharge planning realizes that this person could use some more intensive at-home support once they leave the hospital and they make a referral to us that way.
0: You mentioned a couple of things uh, that that uh, make Hospice of Ukaya different from uh, sort of general Medicare-supported or insurance-supported palliative care services. Talk a little bit about more, more about that. What are you able to do as an organization that you wouldn't be able to do if you were Medicare-funded?
2: Yeah, so we just have a lot more freedom to center patients' voices and center the voices of the patient support system. Um, because with insurance billing, come a lot of rules and regulations about how you have to do things. We're able to be a little bit more free to say, what do you want us to do? What does support look like for you? For instance, the um, I already mentioned that with the, a Medicare-funded hospice, you have to use their doctor. And oftentimes, they'll even switch out medications that you'd previously been on but that you go on to medicare funded hospice program and their doctor says okay now we're going to do these medications and sometimes that's totally appropriate other times people get frustrated because it's been years of fine-tuning medications to manage their symptoms um like i'm the social worker on our team and if if somebody really doesn't want to see the social worker or they have previous experience with social workers and they just say, no, thank you, that's fine. I don't have to be part of their t- their care team um, with an, a program that bills to insurance the o- almost always, especially with Medicare funded hospices, the social worker has to visit a certain number of times. Um, so there's just that sort of regulation. Um, and then also because we don't build the insurance, you really don't have to worry about what we call double, double dipping. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas, so if, if somebody's seeing us, they can still see anyone else they want to see. We're not with double dipping. I'm not an expert in how it all works because the insurance industry is such a complex, um, system, but like for instance, you know, if somebody sees a social worker from somebody else, then they can't see me because I'm the social worker. That doesn't happen. Um, and so there, we can kind of fill in gaps in that regard, because we don't have to worry about double dipping. And then just in general, I find it so therapeutic to meet a new, a new client and a new client's family and just say, I don't care how much money you make or how much money you have or what assets you have or what insurance you have. That's not even part of our whole conversation. All I'm here to do is let you define what support looks like and try to make that happen for you. And that just feels so powerful, especially when somebody is really struggling with chronic or terminal illness and the world feels crazy and out of control And they're interfacing with the medical system, which can unfortunately be at times very disempowering for us to be able to show up and just say, you're in the driver's seat here. You tell us what you want, and we will do our very best to make that happen.
0: That sounds amazing. <laughs> we try <laughs> you you've actually already answered um some of some my next part of my next question and that is um um you, men- you mentioned your community supported what what costs are involved is in terms of the recipients of your care
2: So all of our services are totally free from hospice care to palliative care to our in-home support with our personal care assistants. They can come into somebody's house up to a couple times a week to give help with showers and baths and light, light housekeeping. All of our bereavement services are totally free and you don't have to. The person that you're mourning or grieving doesn't have to have been part of our services to access our bereavement services. Kay Liebernecht is our amazing chaplain, and she does one-on-one grief support as well as um, offers regular grief support groups. And I think I'm pretty sure we're in the middle of a group right now. I'm sorry, I should have had that information at hand. Um, But if you call our hospice number, all that information will be there. And so none of it is, uh, we, and it's something that Dr. Weira is actually incredibly adamant about and has always been adamant about. Um, There have been times in our history, uh, several times when we've said, you know, it would actually be a lot easier if we could sometimes bill for our services just because it is difficult sometimes to operate um, as a totally community-supported organization, but... Dr. Wera has been a real leading voice in being adamant about the fact that our services are free and no one should have to feel like they need to pay for our services, whether it's via insurance or via out-of-pocket. Um, so since our founding in, let's see, we're, we're approaching 40 years. So I think it was like 74 when we were founded. Uh, we've just been operating totally via donations from very generous individuals and we rely on those donations and then the revenue that we receive from our thrift store. And again, that's reliant upon donations because people donate home goods and clothing and furniture. And then we're able to sell those to people um, and receive revenue that way. Yeah. So that's, actually That's how we
0: operate. <laughs> right. Right. And that, and that's so amazing. It never ceases to amaze me that, 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 that system works it's just so wonderful to live in a community that supports your kind of organization and has done so for 40 years this 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 uh, Mendocino county community continue and, and surrounding counties community just continuously blows me away and, yes, I'm, and, me I'm, <laughs> and I am so honored and, and grateful to be able to live in a community like this and that's what the, one of the reasons I have done this program for 20 years is because I want to continuously get the word out about organizations like yours and and about this wonderful community that we live in. You mentioned the, the thrift store. Let's talk a bit about that because um, not everyone might be aware of your store and, and how it works and how it operates and what people can find there. Mm-hmm.
2: So we have a, a space that's right in Ukiah. It's right a, it started very small, but for years now it's been in this big space across from Alex Thomas Plaza on State Street and Ukiah. Um and we sell furniture and clothes and kitchen goods and a lot of, of different things it's our we have an amazing manager right now who's been Marlena who's been running it and has organized it and keeps it keeps it moving <laughs> really smoothly um, i think the main and, and and so we're so grateful for that and of course and i know people that Shop at the thrift store just because they think it's a great thrift store. <laughs> and, and it provides a service. Not everyone can always afford to buy brand new things. And so to be able to go to a thrift store and be able to find the things that you need at a, at a price that is not the brand new price is really great. Um, but we also are super reliant at the thrift store on volunteers to because we can pay our manager salary and our assistant manager salary but we really need volunteers to help with organizing things and cleaning and and doing all those things our main need right now is really somebody who can sort through donations because we we are very very fortunate to receive a lot of donations um and it's it's a double-edged sword because we get all these great donations but i don't know how much experience you've had with this our society kind of right now has a glut of stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i think i've seen it with other people i have clients um for for hospice who who deal with it where just people have a lot of stuff and they're not sure what to do with it. And so we do receive a fair amount of donations. I think the 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 problem with that is that then it takes quite a lot of time and effort to sort through those da- donations. Um and not everything
0: and space, right? And
2: space. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And not everyone is able to really discern that what they want to donate isn't necessarily something that we can resell. Um, Right. I think there might be, I've I've certainly been guilty of this in the past. There might be a just feeling of spring cleaning and let's just get it out of the house and get it out of the garage and just bring it over to hospice or Goodwill or the senior center thrift and not really think, okay, now who's going to be the person on the other end of this who has to go through all of this and take out the the holy socks or the ratty T-shirt or whatever it may be that just isn't possible to resell. And then, unfortunately, also that costs us money because we have to pay to have stuff that we can't sell taken to the dump. Yeah. Um, so so it's just we're so fortunate and so grateful to our community members for their monetary donations and the, for donating things to our thrift store. And we just are asking as gently as and nicely as we can for people to be a little bit more judicious in what they bring to us
0: yeah i I think sometimes sometimes i I see this in myself too we we don't want to throw things away because that seems wasteful right We spent money on this and it seems wasteful from a ecological point of view as well um so so we're tempted to pass the throwing away on to somebody else. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Let them yes. make the decision. But, but, uh, you know, it, it actually would be the more responsible thing for, for, for us to be the filter and to be the screen and to, to truly pass on things that are truly reusable and truly resellable and that somebody else might treasure.
2: Yes, please.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I have to tell you, I've been in your thrift store several times. Um, and, uh, I, I had to, I had to learn to go to thrift store from my thrift store friends because that was not something that I was, you know, I was always a buying new kind of person. I don't know why. Probably because I grew up, uh, you know, in, in, in relative, uh, and, well, not, not poor, but, you know, we, we, we thought about things that we bought. And when I was finally mm-hmm. able to buy things, I wanted to buy new things. But now I realize through my thrift store friends that, uh, that there are treasures to be found in thrift stores. And that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like you said earlier, you know, even if you can afford to pay for new things, there's sometimes no need to pay for new things because they're in perfectly good condition uh, at the mm-hmm. thrift store. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and I even uh, learned a few years ago that somebody who was getting married, instead of buying a bunch of disposable cutlery and plates and everything for their wedding, just went around to thrift stores and bought silverware and plates and all the things and used that for their wedding wash them and then brought them back to the thrift store oh and, that's a great idea it, that second part is that second part is a great idea <laughs> bring it back in, yeah, and bring it back because huh? they didn't need it all they yeah. just needed it for the celebration and then it was reused again and I think in the end it ended up being less expensive than buying a bunch of disposable stuff
0: Oh, yeah. and, and less, and less impact on the environment. I did the exactly. same thing. I worked, I worked with an organization to organize an event and I didn't want the event to be using uh, plastic utensils, um, even if they were recyclable. And so I went to your thrift store and bought a whole bunch of knives, forks and spoons Wonderful. And, uh, and 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 gave it to the organization to use for that event and for future events. Um yeah, that's uh that was actually a really fun experience and a good learning experience. Um, So this thrift store, again, as you said, is in downtown Ukiah on State Street across from Alex Mm -hmm. Thomas Plaza. It's got windows on two sides, so if you drive by on State Street, you'll you'll see it and you'll be able to look in the window.
2: Yep, 401 State Street. I just looked it up. I should know that offhand, 401 South State Street.
0: (laughs) That's the hospice thrift store. And I would just like to let our listeners know that you are tuned into Wild Ogg Living here on Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. K Z Y X and Z. This is Johanna Weldock. I bring you this program every other Thursday from nine to ten A. M. It's all about living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. And today I am talking with uh, Megan Parker, and she is the uh, a social worker associated with the Hospice of Ukiah, and we're talking about Hospice of Ukiah. There's a couple more topics um, I'd like to talk about that that we briefly mentioned earlier, uh, and that's uh, grief support and also volunteers. Um, so let's talk a little bit about grief support. You ma- you mentioned the the uh, grief support workshops uh, that are off- offered on an ongoing basis. Can you talk a bit more about
1: those?
2: Yeah, so uh, Kay Liebernecht is our spiritual support provider slash chaplain. Um, she doesn't affiliate, you know, most chaplains don't affiliate themselves um, with any one religion. They're just there to really speak to the spiritual aspect of living with a chronic illness or terminal illness and then the very deep spiritual suffering that can occur when one is grieving. And so Kay will uh, sometimes go in before somebody passes, but more often she's someone who provides support after after a loved one has died. And as I said before, your loved one does not need to have been on our services to access our grief support services. Um, Kay is there to speak with anyone who's really struggling with grief. She offers, I think, their eight-week Um, Grief support programs. And, you know, before I myself went through uh, some acute grief about 11 years ago, I was not necessarily somebody that believed in support groups. Um, They felt a little funny to me. And Ever since I've been through a grief support group myself, I just really see how beautiful and healing they can be. You're not only receiving support, but you're also giving support. There's a space in which people can really validate one another's experiences and offer tips and tricks to help cope with the very um, painful grieving process. So Kay does those... I apologize. I should know this offhand. I think about four or five times a year she offers an eight-week grief support group. But her services are always accessible. So if you are in between one of those groups or at the tail end of one of those groups, because we normally don't really want somebody to come into a group at the tail end, she's always available I also am trained in grief support and it can do grief support for people, can offer grief support for people um, if Kay is busy or sometimes it's interesting with people. There's just a chemistry aspect to it that is a little bit mysterious about why one person really fits um, in terms of grief support or any kind of talking and another person doesn't and so it's a it's actually a really wonderful aspect of our team in general just because we have different nurses and we've seen that where a nurse will come in and meet a new patient and maybe it's just not the right fit it doesn't happen very often but every once in a while it does and so then we just switch out and bring in a different nurse and that chemistry is there and that provides a much deeper level of support um So yeah, did did I answer your question about grief support? I think
0: so. I think so, and I just want to second what you said. Um, I took one of your grief support workshops a few years ago, and like you, I also was and still am not generally the kind of person that that you know that avails herself of support services. I, I tend to. Work things out myself or by talking to friends and things like that. But, um, being in this kind of, uh, semi-structured environment and, and being in a, in a room with other people who have experienced profound grief. And as you said, both receiving and being able to offer you know life experience that might be useful to other people uh, was a, a really profound healing experience and i mm-hmm. and I still remember just viscerally that how feeling it felt to be mm. to be in that environment,
2: yeah yeah, yeah, and grief is you know it's kind of my little soapbox speech here, but grief is so uh, disenfranchised in our culture, yeah. Uh, when my late husband passed about 11 years ago, my father-in-law got three days off of work and, you know, and that's just, that's pretty, Oh, sorry. It's that's, all all right. <laughs> <My, laughs> that's just pretty standard when you do get any bereavement time. Yeah. Um, and I think even there's a, I, when I've worked with grievers, there's a feeling like I should be over it at six months or, or, or kids don't grieve. And there's, there's really not an awareness of the whole body experience, physical, psychological, social, emotional, financial, all these different aspects of grief that we really need to validate and talk about. And, and in my experience, profound grief, you don't get over it, you learn how to live with it. And so talking to others about how do we incorporate this into our lives and learn to carry it as we move forward with our lives.
0: And that it's okay for it to keep returning, yes, and returning to it again and again. And and as you said, just over time we learn to live with that, the, the return of that feeling, the return of that grief. I yeah.
2: come. It doesn't mean you've regressed. Yeah. It doesn't mean you haven't done the work that you needed to do.
0: Yeah. It's actually a kind of a kind of honoring of of yeah. uh, you know of the grief and and of the connection that you had with the person mm-hmm. whose departure caused the gr- you know the grief. It's it, it's a way of remembering.
2: Yeah, yeah. I read a book. Patty Smith, uh, the musician, wrote a book called Just Kids, which is just an amazing book. But I remember reading in that book, she said it just feels like a visit, and it's it's painful, but it's also joyous. Um, It's just a mix. And I just love that that languaging of of the recurrences of grief feeling like a visit from your loved one.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly, Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, it's so interesting, you know, I grew up in a culture which at least when i was a child several decades ago um the 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 people if you if you lost a close family member like a mother or a father or a child or you know just a close relative um you wore black for a year Mm-hmm. To to signify that you were in mourning, and and yeah. you know, to both both just signal to people that you know, be more gentle with me. I'm in mourning, and I might behave irrationally sometimes because I'm in mourning. Um yes. you know, and uh, and, uh, and and it was it was a really wonderful way of of sort of both two way communication with your community, with your surroundings, that you are yeah. a person in mourning who who you know who might need extra help.
2: Yes, I I hadn't really thought about, you know, I'd heard of widow's weeds, but I hadn't really understood the utility behind them until I myself was grieving. And I can remember it vividly. I was just, it was just a trip to the grocery store and just taking all my strength just to stay waiting in line to just buy the things I needed to buy. And I understood then that, you know, if only I'd been Some had been that widows' weeds were still a thing, and people could understand that I was fragile, and maybe give me some space or some patience or, or whatever. It would have. I I, I do wonder how we might benefit from bringing back something like that. Yeah,
0: Yeah. some some symbol that's commonly understood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's there's a good reason behind that. It makes total sense to me. It didn't when I was a child, but now it makes. Total mm-hmm. sense to me. Yeah. Well, let's talk. Uh, also, we only have a, unfortunately a few minutes left. <laughs> Time has flown by, Megan. Uh, let's talk mm-hmm. about volunteering. If if our conversation has inspired people to get involved with Hospice of Ukiah in some way to support you, uh, so but let's both talk about donating and vol- volunteering. Let's talk about volunteering. Okay.
2: So we have we our thrift store needs volunteers. And we're always, and with our thrift store, it's pretty simple. There's not a lot of training involved. We'll take what we can get in terms of the time that you have to give. And, um, to volunteer at our thrift store, you can call the number. It's four, seven oh seven, four six two, three one four one. Four six two three one four one, And then we also have respite volunteers, and those are essential people who go in and either sit with a patient or just go in and kind of hang out while the caregiver, and that's a whole other episode we could do talking about caregiving, um, but while the caregiver is able to go get some groceries, or ideally just go take a walk or get their nails done or whatever it is to take a break from the very intense and laborious task of caregiving for an ill-loved one. So um, to volunteer, and we're always looking for respite volunteers, to volunteer for respite, uh, you can call our office, and that is 707-462-4038. Four six two four zero three eight, and just say that you're interested in becoming a respite volunteer and the our volunteers they talk about these just having such amazing experiences meeting the patients and getting to know them over time and sitting with them it's a really powerful and beautiful experience
0: and uh, finally, in the couple of minutes that we have left, let's talk about donations. How can people support you?
2: So if you'd like to just donate financially, that is amazing. We would appreciate that more than words can say. Um, you can send a check to our office at 620 South Dora Street, Suite 101, Ukiah, California, 95482. Um, you can bring a check there. You can donate online our website is hospiceofukaya.com. You can also donate at our thrift store if you'd like and then if you want to bring donations to our thrift store the donation hours I think have changed so I would call right now it says on the website it says 10 to 4 um it, we are needing more people to help like I say with the donation day. So I think to donate to our thrift store and you're if you don't live nearby i would call ahead and just see if they're ready to receive donations and let's
0: give those two numbers again both your office mm-hmm. number and and the thrift store number
2: yeah so our office is 462-4038 and our thrift store is 462-3141 and
0: um, in the in the two minutes or so we have left, uh, what, uh, th- those are yours. What would you like to leave us with? Any information you want to repeat, or any messages you would like to t- us to take away?
2: Well, I was I was fortunate enough to log on here a little bit early and hear your previous guest, and I was just really moved hearing from her because I have currently a couple ninety something year old patients who. One of them is able to really understand that she was dyslexic as a child and is still dyslexic, obviously, and the other one is... is, And it's just so fascinating to be able to get to know these 90-something-year-olds and really see, as as I hear about their lives, how their different way of thinking has been such a resource to them in the world and a gift to the world. They're both just creative, strong artistic, caring people. And I, I just, I'm so grateful that we're starting to talk more about neurodiversity yes. and that there's no one right way to think. So I was really um, enjoying hearing your previous guest
0: a topic of a future program along with caregiving we're going to talk about that as well okay Yes, please. <laughs> well thank you so much megan parker social worker for hospice of ukiah for joining us this morning all the best to you and all the best to your organization
2: and thank like- you so much for having me on i really appreciate it thank you talk to you soon